Welcome, let's talk books. I'm Robin Van Auken, a writer and a teacher. My guest and I want to help you write your own book. We're sharing ideas about inspiration, book publication, and promotion. You can find the episode show notes, a free novel, guides, and tutorials at robinvanauken.com. Enjoy the show. It's episode number five, and my guest is Lorena Benicas, a writer, photographer, and filmmaker. Lorena is the author of a new book, Lost Coal Country of Northeastern Pennsylvania. Published by Arcadia, the book is part of the Images of Modern America, so it's part history, part photographic art, and part travel guide. Lorena visits many places in her book, including the site of the last coal breaker in America, scheduled for demolition soon. She also visits the spooky village of Centralia, abandoned 50 years ago, when the coal beneath caught fire. The fire continues and will burn for hundreds of years. She writes about John Stella, an unsung hero who saved dozens of miners during the Knox mine disaster. Through shared stories, interviews, and research, Lorena captures history of the anthracite region. She's a great-granddaughter of a coal miner, and she's discovered her own family story. Just a note... My cat, Miles, has parked himself on Lorena's lap during our interview, so you'll hear a bit about him at the beginning of the show. You can learn more about Lorena and her book in the show notes at robinvanauken.com. Let's get started. Listen to that purr. Yeah, so Miles has been around for 13 years, and um, he's doing pretty good. He's years. a little, he's a pretty hefty boy. He's, he's uh, I've discovered... He goes out all the time. There's a door right behind you. Both of them go in and out all they want. He used to be an avid hunter, but he's not anymore. He quit. Well, he's just getting older. He's getting a little arthritis in his back. That's what the vet says, that they start to slow down. He'll occasionally go out. If you taunt him, you know, you go, hey, 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 you don't do that. Like chomping at the bit to go outside all the time. No, no. My cat's so bad. Well, they go out when they want. We We don't limit them. In fact, I say, go out. <laughs> but lately, since he's getting older, he just likes to do this. He likes to sit on the window seat, curl this. up on the blanket, I mean, and be pet. This is so beautiful, Robin. I thought, I thought I was close to the river. I'm not anywhere near the river compared to you. Because yeah. there's a dike between me and the river. Yes. And the railroad tracks. Are well, the railroad track, yes, the railroad track is right down behind our house. That's how when you gave I me a call, I could hear. I didn't know if they were on the other, no, they could be on the but other. But you know, they're so inobtrusive. Once you get used to them, you never even know that there's a schedule. There's like. Well, they're going less and less, too. Yes. Now, I have a question for you. Where does the coal come from? That's on. Renovo. Renovo. They go up to Renovo. Yes. I've been asking for three years. Nobody could answer my question. Yeah, all these trains go up to Renovo, get a load of coal, and come right back down. Really? Yeah. Which leads us to talking about your book. Lorena, I'm so happy to see this book, Images of Modern America, Lost Coal Country of Northeastern Pennsylvania. Thank you for having me, Robin. Oh. This is very kind of you. I'm excited about this. In fact, I've read the whole thing. As you can see, I've got little post-its in here. Um, I put post-its at each chapter, and then I put post-its down here at the bottom so that I could ask you a couple of little questions. But you worked with Arcadia. Yes. Which is, I, I enjoyed working with Arcadia. Arcadia preserves our history. You're the reason, you gave them such a raving review that I thought, well, you know your stuff. So if they they were good to you, then I will trust you, and... 
they were lovely to work with. They have been good to me. And when I stopped working with them, I started, they kept calling and they would want a book on this topic or that topic. So I would actually get friends of mine that I thought might have an interest in it, like, uh, you know, Eric Smith and uh, Jan Ogrechek and Dana Boric. And, and look, you've got one. I didn't send them to you. I sent you to them. What I love about your book is that almost all of these photos are in color, too. So that's a new shift for Arcadia and its images of modern America. Which I thought was ironic that they were calling it modern, but I was like, oh, okay, I get it. It's not the 1800s. Well, it is, but... Um, what is it? I don't know. What is the definition of modern America? Mid-century modern, maybe color photography. Okay. I guess I'll maybe that. maybe, maybe that's what it that. is. Yeah. Maybe you should have asked that a while ago. So talk to me a little bit about your history. I understand by reading the about, and I didn't realize this, that you've spent more than 30 years yeah. collecting photographs about this topic of coal country. So tell me about your fascination with this industry. Well, my great-grandfather was a coal miner. Right. And and you dedicated the book to him. Yeah, and I never met him. And unfortunately, nobody really had a lot of nice words to say about him in the family. He was, by all accounts, not a happy man. And I'm not sure that, you know, you can blame him. He came from Sicily for a better life. And he worked underneath America, though. I mean, he never really got to enjoy America. And he worked his butt off. And he really did somehow cobble together a fortune to leave for the family. And that's amazing. Ooh. He really Ooh. did. I mean, all the kids in the family got land. And I don't know how he did that. That's amazing to me. Um, and when I say kids, I mean his kids, not right. like the grandkids and what great-grandkids. But So I decided I, nobody in the family knew much about him because people had started to die and they took those memories with them. Right. And nobody wanted to talk about coal, like around the dinner table or wasn't a happy subject. He died from black lungs. So I decided to kind of go out there and figure out what this history was. And I, the, I think the biggest thing that amazed me was our role as Pennsylvanians in the Industrial Revolution. I had no idea how significant we were as a people into literally driving that with coal. And right. Actually, the lumber around here as well, too, in central Pennsylvania. Well, just a disclaimer. I, I see this as dedicated to your great-grandfather, Stefano Pantano? Yes. My grandfather was a coal miner in Virginia, and he was an alcoholic because coal mining is not a happy industry. You know, it's, it's not very exciting. And um, that led my grandmother to divorce him um, with just, a, you know, a passel of children. So, and my father ran away from home at the age of 14 just because, you know, his father was a raging alcoholic coal miner, and that was the future that he was going to face, too. So, so I can relate. I don't realize how that has still spilled down to these generations. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, the old joke there's a bar and a church on every corner isn't just a Williamsport thing, it's a Luzerne County thing, too, or a Wilkesbury thing. Pennsylvania. In America. Because we are a land of immigrants that came over here and took on the hard jobs. Just like immigrants still do today. So it's amazing, really, how modern that book is in terms of its history. And it's sad, because somebody had pointed out while I was doing interviews for the book that the social ills that came were probably worse than, you know, the black lung or the drowning or being blown up in a mine, because... They're longer lasting. Yeah, that's generations and generations. Exactly. This is a man who's probably in his 70s. He's not that old. He hasn't been around, but he's a a coal miner. And just how he said it, just 
perpetuates itself, generally. You know, it's cyclical alcohol, alcoholism. So that's right. It's kind of scary. Oh, definitely. My the father, abuse. my father did not escape from that cycle. Even though he ran away, he became an alcoholic. He was abusive to my mother. My mother divorced him when I was one year old and took her children to another state to live. So it is something that goes on generation after generation. Thank goodness I'm not an alcoholic and I don't abuse my children. Right. But that's because my mother broke that abuse Somebody cycle. Somebody had to break the cycle. Somebody and was smart enough to do that. she moved an entire continent away. So, you know... That's one way to do it. But you spent 30 years, yeah, 30 years photographing this. It started, I'm sorry, that was like the first question. I went on a oh, tangent. I do no, this, that's, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. It's an exit ramp. Um, I was uh, going to Mansfield University studying for mass communications. And I was working for the PR department, like work study. And they would loan me the camera on weekends. So I was, you know, struggling college student. I could buy a camera. Oh, my gosh. I didn't have $90 for a camera back then. So they would loan it to me, and I would go march down to Wilkes-Barre, and my friends would come. And there would be friends from upstate New York that would come, and we'd just go. And back then, it was the Huber Breaker. It was still standing. Um, like the 80s, late 80s, 87 to like 89. And we would just go in, and we were all photographers. And some of us were mountain bikers, too. So it would be, you know, kind of a menage of both, and we would just kind of weave through there. We'd make our friends pose for us, or we'd just do, you know, still life photos. We we did this for years and years and years, and I grew up, graduated, moved away, went to L.A., moved back after a decade, and then finally I said, oh, my gosh, I've got to capture this digitally now. I've been doing this for years on film, and I wasn't very good at it. And finally, you know, 25, 28 years later... I went out digitally to capture it, and then my mom called me about two or three months later and said, did you know they took the Huber down? And I was just, she was my muse. She was just this beautiful, abandoned thing of history that physically we're losing it. We're losing our history, and there's only one one breaker left. And that is the St. Nicholas. Yes. So the Huber was a coal breaker. Can you tell us what a coal breaker is? Absolutely. I, you know, a lot of people have asked me that. If you're not from northeastern Pennsylvania, there's no reason you would really not know this. You literally would take the coal, load it in at the top of this huge structure, sometimes eight, nine stories high, and then it would go from the top to the bottom and would be broken down. It would be, they would break the coal into different pieces. And it was usually done by very young boys, as you, you know, as young as like eight years old. At one point, child labor laws changed, but... There was one story that actually didn't make it into here, and it was about two best friends, two breaker boys. And the one breaker boy accidentally falls down the chute. Oh, no. And his friend sees him suffocate to death in this coal. Well, they're not stopping production. Right. So he has to work the rest of the day with his friend. So Beneath it, it him. It was in- really, and that's, you know, one of a million horrible stories that came out of, you know. This was the a coal very, industry depressing book in a lot of ways to research. I mean, there were days where I would just start crying. So that's it. Done with research for the day. It's just, I didn't realize how dark it was. This, this is amazing. You've been doing this research. You've got all of these photos. Have you thought about your other love taking this the next step and creating a documentary? Because you're a filmmaker as well, aren't you? I am. I did. I did. um, It was called Williamsport Art Attack 
or start. It depends on what <laughs> incarnation of the film. But it was on WVIA, and it documented how First Friday in the Arts transformed a dying downtown in Williams Park. I've shown that to my students. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to say out loud, like, that was my first, and... No, we show it to the students because it's a wonderful story of how First Friday started. Thank you. In fact, Judy Olinsky is the one who brings it with her to present at our she our students. Does. Yes. Talk about a matron of the art. She's mm-hmm. amazing. So, have you but thought about I that? I thought about it. I am just really horrible at doing the fundraising part of it. True, I understand. It's not fun. No. I just want to do the arty part. I want to shoot, write, edit. I don't want to pander for money and... That's my week, my weakness. I'm not good at that. This is true. Well, when I was looking through this book, I read the entire thing. I read almost every single word in this entire book. Um, all I could think of was this reminded me of Ken Burns' Civil War. You know, the way you move through this, the way you move through these stories, and how, for the longest time, people really weren't paying attention to something so significant. And when he made the Civil War as a documentary, it, it just opened up America. People got it. Like they people needed got to it. know they, what was going. Why they needed to know this. And what you say in this book, the fact that this coal, combined with the railroad, pushed the industrial revolution through America. What people doesn't, what people don't know is that what was special about this coal is that it's anthracite. It's hard. It's, it's hard, and it burns at a higher temperature than bituminous. So, so it this makes was, this was the rock star of coal, and we were the rock stars for getting it out and getting it to. Well, not just here. I mean, we exported it, too, so. Well, I see it go past. We just talked about that. I see this coal go past my house almost every single day in the winter. And we're on the same railroad tracks. <laughs> I'm a little further away from them, but I would look down while I was writing the book, and I would see the coal going by, and I would just keep wondering. I knew where it was going, but thank you for telling me it came. It comes from Renova. Right. Or Renovo. I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. Right. It ends with an O if but you're spelling it, Renova. but the people who live there call it Renova. I think that's sweet. I think that's <laughs> I, cool. I have a student uh, this past semester that was from Renova. And every, every once in a while she'd go, listen, it's a really long drive. Do I really have to come today? And I go, well, actually, yes. Attendance is part of, you know. That's a requirement. That is a requirement you for college class. <laughs> So a cold breaker, we have now one last cold breaker, and this is St. Nicholas, and it was the third iteration, you said, old St. Nick and new St. Nick. Yeah, and then there was like one before it that, yeah, this is third generation, yeah. And there's actually a little village around it called St. Nicholas, and no longer exists, exists the actual village, but, so it's really hard to say exactly where it is, but the closest I can put it as is Gilberton, or Gilberton. Depending, again, upon... Yeah, you know. So, not all of these photos are recent. Some of these all were taken over a 30-year period, or... they Well, of the Huber, they were over 30 years. Okay. Most of them, though, I would say about 98% of them are actually digital, and those are the more recent ones. Including the photos of the records, the company records that were just yeah. scattered they about... They were in- there forever, and I... They were nice enough to let me go in and shoot with the security guard. And he was actually chief of security, really, really great guy. And he just kind of let me do my little artist thing and pretend to understand what I was trying to do. And it was very <laughs> sweet. He was very, very kind with his time. But when I saw those sitting there, I thought, how has not years of snow and wind and rain 
obliterated these. And well, actually, 60 years, because this dates to 1957. Sure, sure yeah. And, and it's legible. I can almost read it if I were to I feel like take maybe they started, to, when they took the breaker and started to pull it apart, that maybe they just start throwing things on the floor, because I can't imagine they'd been sitting there that long. Right. And the fact that they were legible was awesome. So you talk about two different coal breakers, but then you start talking about... The next topic here, which was the um, killing the canary. This is what it was like down in the mines. And you talk a little bit about not only is the canary a harbinger of death if it stops singing, but you've got hordes of rats and mice running out of tunnels that would alert the miners to doom around the corner. Is that what you said? Yeah, I mean, very low tech, but it worked. And you talk about Joe Stella, an unsung hero in the Knox mine disaster. That was pretty interesting. That was the first one that brought me to tears because you have to ask yourself, could you do that? So this guy goes in, he's actually a mine surveyor, and all of a sudden these miners are being pushed to mine underneath the Susquehanna River, the West Branch, or I'm sorry, the North Branch, and they're not allowed to do that legally by the state's regulations, but they're being pushed by the coal company. They keep digging closer to the riverbed, it comes through. Now there's older miners down there and they can't get out, the younger ones leave them there run out. Joe Stella, finally, he doesn't know they're in there, but he's trying to find a way out for himself. He only knows because he had surveyed this mine years before. He finds an exit point, but it's been filled in with debris. He decides he's got to go back and somehow find something to blast that out. He comes upon these coal miners that are struggling, and he leads them to safety. And he never even got, like, recognized for it. But there is a film, actually, by producers from Los Angeles that are telling his story now. A new film? Yeah, um, are they using that historic it's footage? It's a documentary. I hope they are. That stuff is amazing where they're throwing. I, yes, your your book tells people to take a look at this film, and you tell us exactly where to find it and what keywords to use. And I pulled it up, and I saw this massive whirlpool in the Susquehanna, and they're dumping 50 rail cars to try to plug up this whirlpool. They're just struggling. They don't know what to do at this point. And I mean, it doesn't work. It. That's amazing. All of those rail cars are still in the river and in the mine there. Oh, yeah. And apparently if you go around along, I, now I looked and looked and looked and could not find it, but the waters were high when I was photographing it at this point. But there is supposedly still like a rail car around there. But, you, when you talk also about acid mine runoff, your, your, your book actually says it looks like the river's bleeding. And Tell us, what is acid mine runoff? What's happening there? It's actually uh, waste coming out of the mines. And there's no way to stop it because you can't plug it up. So there's actually a group over in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania that's trying to eradicate it. But it's a tough battle to fight. I mean, it's just, it's, it, we have so many waterways in Pennsylvania. And we've got, we've got this problem here, too. You know, down in, like, I think Shemokin, they have a lot of problems. But... Yeah, it's well, we, hard to eradicate. We do look at the river, and we love the river, and we want to protect the river. But just 100 years ago, there were so many brand-new industries all along the river that were putting toxins right into it, not even thinking of the future. Sure. Like just here in South Williamsport. Farmers. Runoff from farmers now, from then. But then there were, there were um, different kinds of factories like a nail factory right here on the river that you know when they're creating these nails they'd have all that runoff they would put it right into the river because it's 
you know, it takes the sediments away. I feel like the West Branch got off a little easier than the North Branch. <laughs> I really do. Now, talking about effects of industry, creating all these catastrophes, you also talk about Centralia, the ghost town of Centralia. That's... I think that's everybody is in, in the United States. And actually the world is fascinated with Centralia. And the fact that it doesn't stop is insane. There's just... I just don't know if they just don't care anymore. That, you know, it hasn't fallen in yet. Let's just not worry about that. That's and right. So for people who don't know, Centralia is a small, small town here in small north central town. Pennsylvania. And... Nobody knows how this happened, but fire ignited in a vein of coal, yep. possibly from somebody burning trash too close to... That seems to be the common thread in all the different theories of how it started, but it was trash. It could have been intentionally set. We don't know. But, but it's been it on trash. fire. The ground underneath of this city was on fire for 50, 60 years. It's still there, and it's expected to burn for at least two more centuries. Until that vein of coal burns out. And so, meanwhile, the government has been condemning and buying property. But there's a few holdouts there. You even have a couple of um, photos in here about the holdouts. And these are people that are convinced that the gov- it's a government conspiracy. Absolutely. That the government wants to condemn it so that they can mine. Well, and the funny the thing is, Robin, like, when I, so when I was writing this, I thought, and I was a news reporter prior to this, so... I'd covered Centralia before for WBRE. And I thought, you have to be objective, though. I don't know. Are they theorists, conspiracy theorists? I don't know what's going on with them. There was something that made me wonder, though, if perhaps they're not crazy. So I have to write it from that perspective. Yes, you do. You have to be objective. What if those 11 people read this book and I offend them? Right. I don't want to do that. No. And they wouldn't talk to me. So I can't tell their side. I can only just be objective. Oh, they wouldn't talk. Oh, no, okay. No, they will not. They they want to be left alone. They, sure. They get bombarded. Just by tourists, they get bombarded. Well, but, this image of this highway here, the graffiti highway, is just amazing. So, I it mean, looks like an earthquake took over. I've actually been through Centralia a couple of times. I made my husband stop as you we traveled. Because there's a fascination with it. The ghost town. The ghost town with the fire raging underneath. It's, it is the Americans' version of hell. It's the closest we come to hell on earth here. You know, they took their zip code away. How dare you? I know. I saw How that. That was dare you? That was one of the final heartbreaking things you you put in this part of that chapter. Is that you don't even have a home now. Yeah, and you know you're not going to get your your mail anymore. You're going to have to go get it somewhere else. No, I think they actually do get their mail, but um, lost yeah, I mean, their zip just, code. It makes me sad. And there was one point, and this was a long time ago, I had gone with another photographer that helped me with the book, Kelly Mifsud, and we were actually doing video. And there was signs up saying that this land was being leased to a coal company. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, who's crazy now then? I mean, and we did not get those sign pictures. But they weren't there the last time I went, so I don't know what happened to that. Maybe that's another book. So this book is more than history. It's also a guidebook, a tour yes, guidebook, a travel book. And and yes. ever since I've read this, I've been thinking, okay, now I have to go spend the weekend in Scranton because you've got a whole chapter on the rise of the rails and you talk about how Scranton comes into being and became such a an amazing city and six hundred thousand dollars for the Lackawanna Station when it was built in nineteen oh eight. And it is one of the grandest 
I mean, and it's up there with our most beautiful courthouses in the state. It's, and there's this rivalry. I'm from the Wilkes-Barre area, and there's always been this rivalry between Wilkes-Barre and Scranton. And when I went to Scranton to start shooting, I thought, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm over that because it's a pretty awesome city. It's, and it's, they have done a really good job of embracing their history. Good. You don't find as much in terms of, we keep tearing stuff down over in the Wilkes-Barre area. They're trying to preserve it over there. And we just turned, tore down the Sterling Hotel. Oh, no. Which is, which is one of the most beautiful hotels. And it echoed the wealth that came out of the coal industry. And right. The wealth that was, was in that city. And they tossed it aside, tore it down. So, I mean, Scranton is doing a great job. And that um, Steamtown site, wow. If you're not even into trains... Right, I was it's going to ask you about that. really, really cool. So Steamtown has its origins as a private collection in Connecticut or Vermont or, I can't remember, up in the Northeast. I should know this. I wrote it. It's, I want so it's up there in the Northeast, we're going to say. The Steamtown yes. had its collection. And then the guy basically had to sell everything. They had to move it. Right. He died tragically. So I guess in this, his estate was taken over and... They could. They didn't have the passion. Nelson Blunt. Yes, Thank I'm looking you. at it. Nelson Blunt from New England, right? And he had it in Riverside, Vermont. So I was close when I said Connecticut. But he died so in an aviation accident. And um, so in 1995, you guys opened Steamtown, and I, I am, I'm appalled that I haven't been there yet. You know, it's kind of like New Yorkers not going to see the, you know, Statue of Liberty. We, sure. We, in fact, I'm going to New fine. York tomorrow. We're going finally to the Met. But, you know, I, I love these photos that you took, and I've got to go to Steamtown. Thank you. But I also, now I definitely have to go to Eckley. Tell me about Eckley. Eckley, wow. That one, I really, everybody, it's one of those things that everybody says, oh, yeah, we should go there. But it's a little farther away from Wilkes-Barre, so you never get there. I got there, and I was just blown away by it, because now... You're, you can go in their homes. This is a living history village, right? Yeah. And this is a, a former coal, yep. coal company town. Absolutely. And you can see the hierarchies of society within it. So you've got your... You've got, you've little, got little, the little tiny houses where, you know, the, the poorest of the poor lived. And, you know, maybe 12 people get crammed in there. Right. Um, but then once, you know, they were like up higher on the food chain... Then you had to take in borders because you still couldn't afford that nice house, which wasn't very nice. Right. But they're still standing. And this is a part of Hollywood history, actually. Yes, yes. You you said that, that this was preserved by the film company that made the Molly Maguires, yes, right? Yes, and if it weren't for them, there would be no Equity Village. Because since the folks from Hollywood said, this is awesome... Pennsylvania went, oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right, yeah, it yeah. is awesome. Let's, let's hold on to this, let's not tear it down. So, thank goodness the movies actually helped preserve our history. And they're, um, the breaker that they built, um, when it first came upon, I was like, there is something wrong with that. And I knew it couldn't really be a breaker, but then, I don't know, I was having like this Indiana Jones moment where I thought I discovered another breaker. And then this adorable veteran walks up to me, he's just, he goes, honey, you know that's not real. I, and he said, you know, that's from a movie. A Hollywood prop. Yeah, and I couldn't read the sign. I might want to redo the signs there. But it had been, like, faded away. They have, like, the little things in front of them to tell you what you're looking at. But, yeah, it's it's actually, in all this stuff that's in here, all these photos, there's actually a term for them called abandonography. 
Oh. Yeah, and it's, a, it's growing across the world. And actually, I think I want that to be my next book. About just abandonography. Wonderful. And I I know what you mean. People love abandon. I mean, this is great. It's been a part of photography for a while, but we, I right. think we had a name for it for a while. So it's kind of neat that you can go in here and your eye just pops with what's in Eckley. There's a lot of outhouses there. Tons of them. And a lot of the outhouses are now satellite dish houses. Because that's where they hide their little satellite dishes. Oh. So it doesn't kind of ruin your tour experience. Okay. But actually, people still do live there. Some of them are descendants of the coal miners that actually lived there. I think they had an archaeology dig there recently. I, I remember receiving something in the um, in my email from someone saying, if you have any students who are looking for a job this summer, you know, or, you know, internship. And I thought, I want to do that. that. I want to do that. So in addition to all these what kind of looks quaint now because it was preserved and I'm sure it wasn't as pretty and quaint originally. You have Concrete City. You you conclude your book with Concrete City, which is it's horrendous looking. This is uh, almost like a brutal architecture. Yeah. Brutalism is the name of the architecture. Like it almost looks like a Soviet Soviet Union I, oh my structure. Gosh, you're in my head, Robin, because I say it looks like what I think Chernobyl looks like. Right. Not that I've ever been there, but. To me, that's like our Chernobyl. They thought this was modern. Oh, we're going to take this concrete. We're going to make houses out of it. And people are going to love it. And this is in 1911 at the at the coal company town. So it was yep. just their way to use a cheap resource. But this was like the, you know, the magical, like only the higher ups could live here. And, and pretty they, soon they realized they didn't want to live there. I mean, and then when they decided, that, I mean, there's one story I heard. I don't think it made it into the book either. And I'll be honest, I have not read the book since it came out because I'm afraid. You're going to see something. I should have edited it this way. Right. Or I should have done And I honestly, I haven't read it, so forgive me. But there was this one point where this guy would go to bed at night, wash his shirts, wake up in the morning, they're frozen. I did see that. It, did it is in it. It did. Thank you, yes. Robin. Okay. <laughs> yes, the, it was his daughter recalled yes. washing the shirts for her father's shirts in the winter and they would never dry, and that the construction flaw is that all of the walls were filled with condensation, and the paint began to peel. So they said, "Okay, we made a big fat mistake," and they abandoned left. it. And, and then they tried blowing them up, and they couldn't even do that. They were just—they were solid at least, and they're still standing. So now it's become another site for abandonographers, or mostly a lot of kids drink and booze underage, unfortunately, but. Um, but these kids are a lot of a lot of them are artists because uh, oh, Concrete yeah. City is just covered with graffiti. Well, and you know what? I like that. But the one thing that really troubled me, and I know for a fact it did make it into the book, were the amount of KKK signs through there. And I thought, oh, okay, that's scary. If that's a joke, or if that's really, really from you know a Klansman, I didn't want to promote it. But it's it's really disturbing that it's over there. And that's one of the things that actually. Um, Graffiti. Graffiti really interests me. Um, sometimes I take train rides. I, like, I will get, get on the auto train and go to Florida sometimes to visit um, and then come back. And one of my favorite things to do is just look out the window at the other trains and the rail cars going by, and they're just covered with graffiti. And and I can't help but admire the art. Well, and sometimes we get a nice show on our train tracks. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm attracted to it, too. And there was something between Centralia's Roads and... Concrete City's walls, there was a lot there. 
and not to bring up the negative, there was a lot there that actually people took time to paint. Yes. With a can. Some were actually done with brushes, but not many of them. But it's amazing. And I think, you know, besides the kids, you know, underage drinking and whatever doing over there, there are a lot of people that go there because they know it's history that's just around the corner that they can go visit. And that's what I want people to do. I want them to be able to get out, look at the book so they know what they're looking at because I didn't know what I was looking at for most of my life. And now, you know, I was under the impression that the Huber Breaker had breaker boys on it. They never did. It was it was a modern breaker. And they were right. beyond putting children to work, at least super young ones. And that, oh my gosh, the Titanic The Titanic viaduct. viaduct. Yeah, I'm flipping through the pages and I, I'm just fascinated with this. This viaduct... Um, was used by trains, and it's still in use today. Use. This is pretty amazing. It, it looks like something out of Europe. I mean, that, it, and that was a yes. very big deal in its time, too, when they first made that. And I hate to say it, but the pictures just don't even do it the justice. Have you been to Rome? Have you ever traveled yes. by train outside of Rome, like you're heading to Frascati or north, and, and you just see these 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 structures that are the remnants of the viaducts that they had there. And they're like, to me, they're almost like the Akax out of Star Wars, where these long legs, that's all that's left because <laughs> the top part of the Akak has been blown off. But, and then and the train, you could just see these viaducts as they walk all the way down towards Rome. It's just amazing. That's what, it's amazing it's still standing. I mean, at least they didn't try and blow that one down, so that's good. That's still with us. But four, it did say that four workers did die in the making of it. Oof. Yeah. I mean, they had some very crude pieces of construction to make it, so it's pretty amazing. When you come upon it, and I, I, the first time I ever came upon it, I didn't know really when it was coming. First time you see it, it's really... Uh, because wow. it's so large. Yeah, it's... Wow. So like I said, the picture really doesn't do it justice, but... You've got so many artistic photos in here. I just want to spend so much time Thank looking you. at them. Like I the really, lunch boxes and the, the tipple shed. You're going to have to pick really these books up. I think the photo photography was a lot more fun than the writing. Because you weren't... Uh, at that moment, you're not researching. You're right. just in the moment, making pictures. But once you got back to your desk and had to start doing more research and it got dark again, it just got really, really... But the one, I don't want to sound like such a downer because the one shining light about the whole thing is that, you know, these miners, you know, made artists. They allowed us to thrive. They sent their kids to college and were exactly. all really hard workers. And we built, a, we built a nation and we're still here. So, I mean, we got something out of that coal. Oh, we got a lot out of that coal. Tell me, this is your first book? Yeah. Is it your last book? I don't know. If somebody would let me do the abandonography book, that, that, Definitely. I, that, no, then it wouldn't. But I don't even know how you do that. Because it's not an Arcadia book, that idea, so. Why wouldn't it be? I don't know, because I don't know that abandon. I, I want to do abandonography. I already did the Cold Breakers, so I feel like I'm not allowed to go back to that well again. But I just want to kind of travel around and just photograph things that are crumbling. <laughs> So it would be more than just one region. You would want to travel oh, sure. statewide, nationwide, I'd global. I'd love to go around the world and do it, yeah. That would be amazing. I don't know how that works out for me, <laughs> <laughs> Because you are a visual artist first, right? And a writer second? 
Is uh, that? I was a writer before I was a photographer. Okay. Yeah. You, you said that you were a journalist and you had a mass communications degree. So oh, tell me a little right. bit about your history. Well, I started writing at like eight years old. Okay. And I had a teacher who was like, oh, you're so good at it. And I was like, okay. I'm sure you say that to all the kids. But my mom's a writer. So I'm like, oh, I'm sure I got some genes from her. So I really, I pursued it. I was definitely um, supported by family, teachers. And then at one point when I think I was like 12 or 13, I took a picture of a sunset. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Look at that. Of course, I had to wait three weeks to see the picture. <laughs> that was a whole different day, but it was worth the wait. And when I finally saw that picture, I was like, oh, I got to do this too. So what kind of camera both. were you using at the time? Um... I don't remember. I don't remember. It's probably just a Kodak Instamatic at the yes, time? Yes, it was, it was like something you used on Christmas, and then you forgot about it for the rest of the year. So the when, you went, college, when you went when to college? When you went to college, I actually different. got an SLR, okay. which was nice. And, and then, that's what you experimented with, and that's what yeah. you took some of the Huber photos yeah. with. Do and you still have an SLR? I do. I can. And but do I you switched. use it, or do you use your digital... I haven't used it. I went. I bought it and went to Israel uh, probably 15 years ago, and that's the last time it's ever been used. Okay. So, yeah, that was it. But I went, well, from Mansfield, uh, they got me an internship at MTV. So that was wild. That was really, that was like the beginning of MTV, like when it, they played videos. It was so cool. And then from there, I was like, oh, I love visual because MTV is very visual, obviously, and so from there, for some reason, I got a job at uh, WPIX in Manhattan, and I was a PA in the news department. And then I got laid off. From there, I went to WBRE and got hired, bumped around Wilkes-Barre area as a reporter, and then left and eventually headed to Los Angeles and couldn't get hired as a reporter there. I was just too green, but they would hire me as a publicist because I was a reporter. So I saw dollar signs, and it was really exciting. I got to work, walk down the red carpet and sit on sets all day. People would feed you for free, and that was, I was like, I love this job. You feed me. So it was a lot of fun. I got to work with some great celebrities. So, but I wasn't creating anything but press releases. So I decided I want to get back to shooting again, and that's what I did when I came home. My dad got sick, too. So it was kind of all that those roads leading together and came home. And So where do you live right now? What city do you live in right now? I live in South Williamsport. South Williamsport. Yeah. Okay, you're part of us. We're, we're all over here on the south side. And I understand that you're um, part of the Pennsylvania Film Commission office. I found Could you the tell film me office here. It's the Central Pennsylvania Film Office. We're going to be 10 years old next year. And we have, this, we have these angels of a board. Um, some from Hollywood. Tom Woodruff Jr., who is, mm-hmm. you know, known for what he, the creature work that he's done on, like, Aliens. Um, and Jumanji. The I, original I, Jumanji. I, I can't even name all the movies all right, he's, anymore. He's a big shot. He is. And an Academy Award winner. He um, has, has been on our board, has been amazing. Um, and what we do is just, we're kind of an economic development generator and also an educational tool in a way. So if somebody says to us, listen, I don't really want to go to L.A. or New York or Rome, and I, but I need somewhere to start. Like, can you get me an internship or can I help you on your next commercial? Sure. So you can have something for your resume. That's what we do. So if we're lucky enough to snag production, which we've been not, to be quite honest, not very good at. 
Um, it's not really our fault. <laughs> I want to blame someone else, but <laughs> I'm going to because the state only offers about $60 million in tax credits. So we're competing against, like, Georgia. Exactly. Who has an unlimited tax credit. So we're trying, but so if we don't get people to shoot here, then we still get these people to, you know, we still expose local students or right. 60-year-olds, whoever it is that wants to learn about the film industry or so, television. So what are you doing right now active with the film industry or with writing? Right now, the film industry is basically we get leads from the state in Harrisburg. So we're, you know, underneath the state film office. And we'll get something from them, like somebody, one came through two weeks ago from Paramount. They were looking for a certain location, which we did not have. But we just actively, it will, if something matches something we have, then we send them photos of it. Okay. And we say, you know, here's what we can do to help you out. And, you know, we'll you know, come visit us and we'll take you around. We did have one international film shoot here. That was our crowning jewel. Okay. And what was that for? Um, boy, the name of that one changed so many times, but I think the end name was Bocadachi Doesn't Play Ball. <laughs> and it was through Little League. Through Little League, okay. Yeah, they shot at Little League, and it was a Japanese team that makes it to Little League. Now, is that your charity, or is that a my job? My charity. Okay. That's my, yep, yeah, that's my charity. And then I ended up actually founding the Wilkes-Barre Metro Film Office. Because I thought, we kept getting people asking us about Wilkes-Barre, and I thought, why doesn't Wilkes-Barre have a film office? So we thought it would just be easier if we found it went over there. But I'm not actively involved in that. I just helped found it, and I'll guide it once in a while, but they're they're on their own mission over there. They're doing a great job. So what are you doing for work? Where are you employed right now? I am employed by me at my own business. I shoot commercials. Television commercials, so I direct them, shoot them, edit them, write them, and that's what I do. And do you have a production crew that you work with? I do. Or do you hire freelancers? Big, absolutely. It depends on how big the production is. Fortunately, around here, they're usually pretty small crews because we don't really have a lot of huge industry that can support right. higher-end video production. But it's fun, whether it's big or small. So you're staying creative. And that really, that's when... I feel like that is the one thing that challenges me the most, the commercials, because somebody's telling you what they want. Right. And so you have to be creative. If you don't have the answer, you have to hunker down and find it. So it's kind of, I like it. It's a challenge. I actually have a book here um, that might help you. Oh, let's see here. The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice. Have you read this yet? No, I've never even heard of this. This is awesome. I just ordered it. I haven't read it. Well, why don't you borrow it and read it, and then when you come you and speak sure? to my class, bring it back. I promise. Definitely. I pro- will you write your name in it, though, Rob? I will. Okay. Sure, I oh, will. Oh, Robin, you are so kind. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I do. That people will tell artists all the time... Ah, you're just going to be poor. You're going to be broke. You're going to starve. It's not true. It's like any other skill set. You have to find the avenues that are actually going to generate revenue. But you can also do the fun stuff, too, when when you're not generating the revenue. So don't just turn off those dreams. There is no such thing as a starving artist, or there doesn't have to be. I've seen a lot of portly artists, so I'm not buying it. <laughs> and I'm not the thinnest thing going either. So I would just like people, and that's, a, an, I'll add this, one of the biggest missions of the film office is actually educate parents. 
so they understand that they should be feeding these dreams and not discouraging them. It is easy to say, oh, come on, go into the tech industry, be a lawyer, be a doctor, go into PR. These are all wonderful pursuits. But if that isn't what you really want, and that's what happened to me. I didn't really want to be in PR anymore. I wanted to be, and I still actually do PR, but from a creative perspective. So I get to do the photos now or the film to promote whatever the brand is. So stick with it if it's your passion. The old saying goes, you'll feel like you never worked a day in your life. And I, it's true. Thank you. I hope you enjoy my interview with Lorena, and it inspires you to learn your own family story and how it is America's history. Lorena has an exciting photographic project on the horizon with abandonography. It sounds like an interesting concept, finding the art in old forgotten places. You can find Lorena's book online at Amazon, and you can find me at robinvanalkin.com. While you're on my site, download my novel, West Wind. It's free. And speaking of free, I've got half a dozen free resources for writers and other creatives, so sign up today. Check out the episode and the show notes at robinvanauken.com slash session five. Thank you so much, and if you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button on your device. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.